the city of Medford is embarking on a project to do a comprehensive master plan for the city. I am Alicia Hunt. I am the acting director of community development for the city of Medford. Also with me this evening, who's on the um, selection panel, is Dave Rodriguez, our chief of staff, uh, Jacqueline Furtado, the vice president of our community development board, and Annie Streetman, our land use planner and staff to the community development board. Um, the plan this evening is that we have invited agency landscape and planning and their team of consultants to present to us this evening. We've asked them to keep it to about 20 minutes, um, give us their thoughts on how they would approach the comprehensive plan, what, what their presentation, their proposal to us is. And then the members of the selection committee will ask them some questions, will engage in some dialogue to get a feel for the team. We are inviting residents, if you have clarifying questions, if you have technical problems, definitely put them in the Q&A and we'll keep an eye on that. Um, this evening, we're generally gonna try to stick to the committee asking questions, um, but we'll certainly review the things that come in on the Q&A to help particularly with follow-up. We do wanna invite that if people have opinions, they have thoughts, they have questions later, um, they, they wanna share with us for the selection, you should please um, send us email at ocd at medford-ma.gov. Um, that was on the screen a second ago. There it is. Um, that's for, particularly for follow-up questions and opinions. We do want to be completely transparent about what we're doing. We would like to get opinions from other people. Um, but the decision of the selection committee is final. The sort of big picture question, the RFQ that we put out was with the idea that preparing a comprehensive plan would take between 12 and 18 months. So this is a very significant project with a significant timeline. And we've asked each of the consulting firms to please propose their process for how they would do this in the city. Um, and so I think with that, I will turn this over to Bree to get started on behalf of her team. Thank you so much, Alicia. We're so glad to be here. Um, I think just to jump right in, if that's all right, I'll go ahead and share my screen and we'll start to kick this off. Um, and I'll introduce the whole team as I go through some slides. Sorry, just going into full screen share. I'm sorry, Gina, it keeps coming out of full screen. Do you mind sharing? That was a, a one technical thing we didn't test. Thank you so much. I think Alicia, if you don't mind making her a co-host, uh, co thank you so much. And as people do that, I'll point out for the viewing public that's logged in, there in your upper right-hand corner, depending what interface you're on, is something called view. And once um, they're sharing, you should be able to switch between standard and gallery 
And switching between those may change the size of the display for you of what you're seeing. If you find that it's too small, you can go to the upper right hand corner and switch your view from gallery to standard or back. Um, people viewing this through Zoom can also select full screen, which can make it easier to see if anything's too small for you. All set here, Bree. Awesome, thank you. Well, hopefully we got our only glitch out of the way early. Um, thank you so much. Um, well, I'm really excited to introduce the team, share how we are thinking about this project and imagine how we all might dive in. I also wanna say a big hello to the members of the Medford community who are taking the time to be here tonight. We know how critical engagement will be to this process and it's really great to have the conversation already opened up. Next slide. There is really a lot to build on as the citywide plan for Medford begins, other recent plans, ongoing engagement, and your own internal mission. We see the backdrop to this effort as both the love that the residents have for their city, as well as the what we imagine to be the frustration they might feel about ongoing change from intense development pressures to climate shifts, and today especially, uh, the inequities that have been highlighted by the pandemic and racial justice conversations. And to address all of that, we think that this plan really requires a team and an approach that has both vision and grit. We'll need to roll up our sleeves, be on the ground, and really grapple with the needs of this immediate moment. At the same time, a citywide plan really requires a memorable shared vision that can endure for years ahead. So we see it as our job both to tackle those details while always you know, taking a step back and being able to elevate up to that longer view. We created this team in particular to be able to balance those two sides of the, the planning challenge. Um, as Alicia said, I'm Bree Henseld and I'm the planner and co-founder of Agency Landscape and Planning. I'm glad to be joined tonight by Gina Ford, my clutch uh, screen sharer, um, who is also a uh, really talented designer, landscape architect and co-founder of Agency with me. We're located in North Cambridge, just a short bike ride or a hop on the 96 away from City Hall. Um, I'm sitting in our office uh, coming to you tonight. Um, and Agency, is a mission-driven firm that's really dedicated to working with public partners and putting creative engagement front and center in all of our work. As a planning and landscape architecture firm, we really work nationally and also here at home, um, but at all scales, regional, citywide, and district. And perhaps the most important part of every project to us is the chance to tell community stories by making space within the projects for the public to be the experts, uh, to co-create ideas with us, and to set priorities together. We're also really excited about a strategic partnership for this project with Emily Innes of Innes Associates, also based locally. Um, Emily has managed many comprehensive plans in Massachusetts and nearby, and I always know that she'll have creative solutions and answers to my repeated regulatory clarifications. Um, you can go to the next slide, we can see some of those. Um, we've worked together many times, um, Emily and the agency team, often swapping roles as project manager, uh, lead and support. And with Emily, it's always seamless, it's on time, and it's well communicated. Derek Anderson is representing Arab's Boston office and they'll bring transportation, resilience and additional engineering depth to the project. Um, we've, worked, we've worked together a lot with Arup as well. And right now we're working together on a plan for Franklin Park in Boston. Um, we're doing engagement, they're doing transportation um, and we've long collaborated on resilient strategies together. 
They have expertise in a lot of the areas that this plan will touch on, um, and we're excited to work with them. I'm also uh, introducing you tonight to Rebecca Karp of Karp Strategies for Economic Development and Housing. Rebecca's team does uh, housing and economic development studies up and down the East Coast, including work currently um, in Cambridge and around New Jersey. Um, they know this area here incredibly well, um, despite being based in New York, and will be, be also bringing best practices from outside. Um, we think this is really important to balance that, as well as uh, that they can bring both a developer perspective and a city government perspective. And then finally, we can all say hello to Chris Landau, who brings extra visualization and technology skills that we, we think will really help support creative engagement and, and communication, especially during COVID. So Chris has already begun applying these ideas to an interactive model of Medford, um, and we love that he can translate technology to a storytelling device. We'll get to show you that a little bit later. Beyond our professional experience, um, I just wanted to note that we are really majority small businesses on this team, and we're also majority women-owned, uh, as well as having a resident Medford insider. Um, so we bring a unique understanding of where people are coming from today, what their concerns are, and a real dedication to inclusive and representative engagement. This plan is going to need to balance all of these different facets with that, that vision and that grit, and to lean on the two kind of important uh, sides of Medford, the ideas of the people and the physical and cultural sense of place. We see this plan very much as a guidepost along Medford's centuries-long evolution. We know we're not starting from scratch. We're building on a great place, um, and we're hopefully enabling the community to chart their own next steps in that evolution. If this is a 10-year plan, we'll be looking out, I think, by our, by our math to Medford's 400th year. So that's a great kind of benchmark to think about where this plan sets you up. The presence of the city's history is manifest in lots of ways from historic districts and honest stories about the past to adaptive reuse of incredible buildings to ground up new development that's responding to the Green Line extension or regional trails. And this layered city has really resulted in what we believe is a great strength of Medford, that it's not one, but many Medfords. And these differences can be celebrated by the plan as they already are celebrated through the many festivals and community groups um, that honor different parts of the city today. From Medford Square to South Medford, Tufts in the Hillside or Wellington and West Medford, all the neighborhoods, there's real great diversity here that we see in the neighborhood patterns, but also we know then in the needs and the community voices that we need to hear from. And one thing that unites these many places and really excites us is uh, that Medford has an almost unheard of access to open space, whether that's you know, the great resources of the Fells and the Mystic or the hardworking neighborhood parks like Harris Park here. And all of that open space means that 100% of Medford residents, according to the Trust for Public Land, are within a 10 minute walk to a park. So that's a really impressive statistic, but we also know that there's much more to equity than just proximity and that this plan, plan is a real chance to dig into that more meaningfully. The flip side also to that abundance is that there is a real heartburn about day-to-day -day travel that we've heard about. And while there are T-stops, buses, and some recent pedestrian improvements, many who live in Medford today require a car, um, uh, a long commute in traffic, or a long bus ride to get to work, um, or to shop, or to visit the doctor. 
So we see the citywide plan as a chance to build on that history, um, to celebrate the many Medfords, and to connect land use, transportation, transportation, housing, and economic development. So the good news is you're not alone, and we have a great place to start. Dina? Yeah, we understand <clears throat> that like people, every community is different, every city is different. So where Medford is unique, we also see that it has a series of peers, uh, peers that we've worked in across the country um, and nearby. And so bringing kind of um, uh, lessons from similarly scaled communities to the process will be core to the way we think about this, because many cities face sort of similar dynamics, dilemmas and challenges. And so we're excited to think about what those are for you. But, but we believe um, that beliefs and values should really drive a plan. And so these are what we believe. Um, and these beliefs will structure the way we'll talk through an approach uh, to, to the comprehensive plan. First, that great plans are really generated with the community. There's a, a shared vision. So we'll talk about how we imagine that happening that everything is connected. We like to think about systems and data-driven ideas that really are about shared decision-making that's grounded in the real specifics of place. And then lastly, that Medford is a unique place. Uh, this plan will celebrate that, this uniqueness while still allowing for the evolution and change that's already happening. So um, an action plan that really sets up a clear forecast and clear action steps. So to start with the shared vision, uh, we love that the mayor has positioned the vision, has nested it really clearly in the people of the city. The idea that the hardworking people of Medford are talented and have great ideas and that this plan um, and future endeavors should engage with them to really generate those ideas to solve some of the tough challenges ahead. We believe wholeheartedly. So what does the comprehensive plan look like that does that? How do we build that shared vision? We love doing community engagement. We love making it fun, a little challenging, a two-way dialogue with community. On the left-hand side, these are all kinds of tactics and places where we've worked to really bring ideas to the forefront. Um, but we understand that that needs to be adapted to the uniqueness of place. So we'll talk a little bit about that and what that means for Medford. It also means adapting it to this very unusual time we are in um, and really thinking about what a COVID-based engagement launch looks like. And so trying to, as you can see on the right-hand side, think about fun ways to engage people where they are within this pandemic and to really broadcast the plan throughout uh, communities. So whether that's through spray paint on the ground, pop-up events with social distancing, multi-language, multilingual uh, materials left in parks, many ways to do this. But it's equally important, not just that we listen and create great tools for engaging with community, but that we reflect back to the community that their ideas mattered to how the plan was formed. It's not just about process, it's about the outcomes of that process. And so this is a diagram we made while working in Greensboro, North Carolina. The orange shows moments within the community process where the community gave us an idea that changed course of the, changed the course of the master plan or, or kind of lit a light bulb that wasn't lit otherwise. So showing them that that feedback is meaningfully, meaningfully integrated into the plan's outcomes. Super important to build trust for the long haul of implementation. And we think also important to a shared vision is really meeting people where they, where they are, especially again during a pandemic. We love seeing how successfully the housing protection production plan uh, used online media. We think that's a, a great model for how we'll move forward. 
But we also see creative ways of taking advantage of things like takeout bags from restaurants, partnering with local businesses to have community members take away ideas and give us some feedback while they enjoy their, their food, um, or having pop-ups in, in local um, parks and farmers markets that really can start to become the, the boots on the ground. And so really critical to meet people where they are, give them various ways to touch base um, and to make that fun and engaging and built into the fabric of people's lives. Our second idea will be about, um, so shared vision first. Second, we're gonna talk about data-driven ideas. Um, so really critical as the RFQ for this process outlined that decision-making be really nested in ideas that are um, concrete and actionable and measurable. Um, so as we think about this, we wanna talk a little bit about some of the process of this step and I'll turn it over to Rebecca. Thanks, Gina. Good evening, everyone. So two key areas um, that the RFQ specifically called out were housing and economic development, which I will speak to here. So um, as Bree and Gina both laid out, our team really considers, you know, a holistic analytical approach and one that really thinks about how systems work together. And we look at every project through the lenses of data, people, and place, which really lets us, specifically if we think about housing, for example, lets us take a step back and look at the whole field. We approach every project in this regard. So what does housing look like for Medford across the entire city? But then what does it also mean on a neighborhood basis? This is where we really think equity-driven work starts by acknowledging different perspectives and different information to drive toward inclusive outcomes. It also means that we're, you know, for housing, we're also going to be looking at other parts of the scope to see how that intersects with housing because housing impacts workforce, impacts business retention, impacts open space. It's all interrelated. We think in Medford, as we take a, as we, again, as we take a step back, you're already starting with incredible groundwork of have, having a housing production plan that's well underway and incredible work has been done. In preparation for this submittal, we've already reviewed anything that's you know, been put out there in public. Um, and the goal here is for an outside party, if we were so fortunate to work with you to come in, take a look at the data that's already been done, review engagement efforts, and see what needs to be added and augmented through probably broker interviews, assessing, you know, talking to some de developers, really working with you to clarify your goals, looking at some best practice case studies, and moving quickly to implementation to really understand what are the targeted areas you want to drive toward to achieve your goals for housing. We're doing this right now in Leonia, New Jersey, where we've been working with the, the mayor and borough administrator in concert on their housing and economic development strategies, really identifying what are the regulatory roadblocks that they have in their zoning to clear those roadblocks so we can help them achieve their housing goals, which for them happens to be increased senior housing. Um, next slide, please. We'll take a similar approach to economic development um, planning. And as again, I think the data people place, you know, it's a systems approach thinking will be really important um, for economic development as well. And, and we know that, you know, sustainable, successful cities can't thrive without thriving, you know, equitable um, economics, that is the base. And we'll need this holistic lens here as well to understand who's been included in Medford's economy and who's been left out. My dog is also clearly very excited about Medford's um, economy as you might be able to hear in the background. So we know a key part of the scope is gonna be really thinking about what does 21st you know, century and industry jobs look like in Medford? What does that include? What doesn't that include? We'll be doing a socioeconomic and market analysis. We'll look at a couple of comps. We'll be doing interviews with residents, with business owners, with your leading employers, with your city leaders to really understand 
what do you want Medford to look like? And knowing that Medford doesn't exist in a vacuum, how is Medford performing in comparison to the region? To again, really think about what your goals are and what kind of businesses do you wanna keep in Medford and how your local residents can access jobs at those businesses. Um, we recently completed a holistic economic development study in Long Island City, Queens, um, actually at the site that Amazon had identified for its HQ2, but then walked away from, where we worked with a group of developers who were specifically thinking about what types of economic development uses could we bring in and how can we match local residents to new uses to really think about equitable economic development. So we'd envision taking a similar approach there again to really think about who are local residents, what kind of jobs are they looking to gain and what are Medford's goals so we can think about promoting tourism and increasing our commercial tax base. So on I think circulate. that's it for economic development, so I will pass it off. Thank you. Yeah, so for circulation and resilience, uh, we will leverage our global experience in transportation planning and resilience to select best practices and data-driven tools for Medford and identify needs and opportunities that are specific to each Medford neighborhood, uh, such as in Medford Square, where we can couple traditional transport modeling tools with our industry-leading pedestrian simulation tools like mass motion to help identify strategies that address the cut-through traffic from 93 into the square. Uh, while improving pedestrian and bicycle connections, building off the work that Medford's been doing with the transportation planning studies in the area. Uh, we'll also be looking at connections to the Mystic River, the shops in Chevalier and the neighborhoods uh, to and from the square. Also along Mystic Avenue, uh, where we can utilize best practices that we've defined in our Cities Alive publications to address significant heat island and flood risks that are identified in Medford's climate change and vulnerability assessment to identify pedestrian and vehicular access improvements as well as green infrastructure opportunities that really complement one another uh, and improve access for the businesses and residents and future resilience hubs that are located in that gateway to the city. Uh, so these types of strategies will be incorporating throughout our team's scenario planning, the community engagement and the development of recommendations to ensure that the vision is both practical and effective. You know, we talked a little bit about open space earlier, and when you start thinking about how the open spaces of the Fells, the neighborhood parks, the Mystic River itself, the impressive historic and cultural resources in this community, both from its status as one of the earliest um, uh, settlements in the New World and also the uh, arts and culture that flow throughout as well. And then you start to think about the public services and the facilities and how the city interacts with the community and with the people in the community. You start to see how these elements form a community fabric together. And next slide, please, Gina. We really love this quote, the idea that government is interacting with, at a high level of efficiency, a high level of quality with the community to bring its well-being, to bring its values together. And thinking about how those assets are symptomatic of the values and how the municipality can really look at, in this case, um, Medford, the real focus on transparency, on community engagement, and through this process, asking the community, what are those values? Finding what those values are and then using them to really drive the development of this plan. Next slide, Gina. So 
if you're familiar with Section 81D um, under Massachusetts general laws, you know that there are nine elements to a master plan. The first is the vision and goal statement, and that's really finding out the community values using the tactics and techniques for engagement that we've already discussed. The last is the implementation plan. I like to think of the vision and goals as the why, and the implementation is the what, the who, the how, the when, and in some cases, the how much. In between are these planning areas and a traditional comprehensive planning looks at the things that we've talked about already in the context of land use, generally translates into some regulatory uh, guidelines, some policies, and that's been it. I think one of the things that people are moving towards now is the idea of a plan that touches on not just the individual silos of these, but next, Gina, what we're calling the quilt the points at which the um, resiliency, equity, health, other questions that are unique to each community intersect with each of these pieces. And though, although a comprehensive plan will end up with regulatory guidelines, will end up with policies that are specific to each of these areas, they're going to be cross-cutting with each other. So we've identified a couple of places um, where open space, for example, intersects with health. But I think the other important thing is there's going to be a global structure around this, but there's also going to be neighborhood-based understanding because in each neighborhood of med Bedford, these elements will intersect in different ways. And as we think about community resiliency, whether that's economic resiliency, social resiliency, or environmental resiliency, whether we think about equity in terms of housing, in terms of access to jobs, education, broadband, all of these elements start to come together to form the quilt that really is Medford. So next slide, Gina. So how we get there, and this is the important part of what we bring to you, is the idea of a process that is um, uh, very linear in terms of you've got Eight, 12 to 18 months to do this, but has points of intersection where the work that we're doing in terms of that data-driven analysis, understanding the existing conditions, interviewing individuals and groups, starts to weave in with the ongoing inclusive engagement that we're doing, touching the community at many different points, whether it's digital or in person, whether it's in real time or at a time that is available to people wherever and whenever they are coming to a community consensus and vision, developing what we think are the appropriate strategies in consultation with the community, and then coming with an implementation plan that really sets forward something that is visionary yet achievable, focused on a base of data, but responsive to the individual community values that is Medford. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chris to show you some of the work we've already started. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to share my screen here and I will show you. This is a, um, an interactive map that we've created um, based on some of the points that the team collected, uh, just sort of as doing in the process of doing our homework. And these points we find are um, kind of not comprehensive. It's not everything about Medford, but they provide some really salient examples. And, um, and this is a, a fun way for us to kind of engage with you as an audience. Um, 
you know, because we can't be there in person to sort of have like a physical map to pin and do things with. So we just hope this is really fun. And, and we're going to share the link in the chat so that everyone can kind of visit this. And you can just click on these different pins to kind of start to spatialize some of the things that we've been talking about and start to think about how some of these adjacencies and, and these things kind of look together. Um, one thing I will point out is that the, um, that the narrow blue lines are actually, um, that's a 0.2% flood chance, whereas these um, thicker blue lines are a 1% flooding chance. Um, so, so it gives you a sense of like where there's kind of vulnerabilities there as well. And I'll turn it back over to, well, I'll, I'll just stop here and we'll <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. Um, so you can see how the map had, you know, data in place so far, but what we're missing are people. Um, so we hope that, um, you know, there'll be a chance going forward to get community voices into a mapping exercise like that, really make it rich and start to understand, as Emily said, um, what the values are, what the questions are. Um, and with that, I think we'll turn it over and see what your questions are. Thank you for listening. Great, thank you so much for this presentation. It's really been helpful to walk us through. Um, the committee does have a um, group of both prepared and a little more spontaneous questions. Um, so why don't I just kick it off with a sort of standard question. Could you talk about who from the core team the city will see regularly and you know, in person or virtually? Mm -hmm. And what are the hours per week commitment to this? What, what time do you have available for this? Sure, maybe I will start that and then turn it over to Emily to dig a little bit more into the hours, the commitment, how we think about that kind of management side. Um, so the, you know, as I said on that screen where we are a team of largely small businesses, that means that um, you know, what you see tonight is the team that you will, will see all the time. Um, Emily is the project manager of Frequent Connection and me also as the team lead. I think you can think of us as kind of um, your speed dial. Um, you'll see Gina a lot, especially as we're getting into physical ideas. Um, Rebecca and her team are extremely hands-on. Um, and then I can say um, on Derek's side, he is representing uh, a broader group as his agency and CARP, but Derek is... Um, uh, is bringing sort of an engineering uh, infrastructure, um, resilience side and he is a resilience team member and a transportation expert too. So we would expect on Arab side to pull in experts. Chris, you'll see in lots of ways, um, many of them digital, many, many of them virtual, um, but sometimes face-to-face -to -face too. So really uh, with this team, I think um, you, you will be interacting with us. And I would just add to that, um, obviously the ebb and flow comes as the ebb and flow of the project happens. So, you know, you'll get a more intense visit from people at certain points in the project, but we would certainly recommend re regular communications. Um, as uh, Bree said, she and I are the speed dial on this. And uh, we think with the moving parts that are inherent in a comprehensive plan that we should be checking in at least every other week, uh, sort of a core staff team, um, and then there'll be, we've uh, recommended two sort of larger teams to talk with. Those would be regular meetings, uh, some maybe every other month, some every month, again, depending on the needs of the project. We find that there are times when the community wants to take a little bit of a break um, uh, in terms of committee meeting, but that doesn't mean that the staff interactions don't stop at that point because it's important to keep, as I said, these moving pieces moving um, over a 12 to 18 month period. 
And then just to follow up on that, do you have certain staff that you feel will be working like half time on this, a certain number of hours per week? And especially since we had originally thought we could be about a month and a half earlier than we are, has, has your availability or commitments changed on that? So on our end, no, the availability and commitment hasn't changed. I'd say the, the hours are a little bit difficult to project just because um, it will depend who's working when will depend on the needs of the project at the time. So I don't think that you're going to have any single person working 40 hours a week every single week or even 20 hours a week every single week. You will certainly have a significant commitment from me as a project manager and should expect, I'm, I'm known for being responsive. So you should expect to be uh, reaching me. But for example, in the data gathering and analysis phase, you'll see more of Rebecca, Derek and his team, um, parts of agencies team. In the um, community engagement process, you'll see different members of the team. So you'll have the uh, appropriate commitment throughout the entire period from the different team. It's one of the reasons for having this team structure that we do. And if, if I could just add, this is a dream project for us, for our practice, for our collective practices. We really put together, we think, the most extraordinary team and have put tried to put our best foot forward here tonight, as well as in our proposal, because this would be a dream for us. And so we're committed to making it a success. It's as important to us and our collective practices as it is to you and your communities. And so um, we feel very strongly that we will just get the work done. If that means, like Bree said, it's part vision, but it's also a lot of grit. And we're, we're ready to do that with you. And you would also get to know a couple of planners um, and designer who we've identified to work on this uh, back. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll just say, I think you're, um, you're familiar with my commitment to Medford uh, when I'm not being paid. <laughs> I'll, I'll certainly be there, um, you know, throughout the process and, and very committed uh, as both a resident and, uh, you know, in my professional passion in resilience and, and transportation work. Yes, I have to admit that I do know Derek from volunteering on our climate resiliency work so, as a resident. Um, Annie, do you want to take the next question? Sure. Um, let's see. So you got into this a little bit uh, in your presentation, but I was hoping you could just summarize what you see as the city of Medford's biggest challenges and opportunities in regards to this project. Let's see. I would love for uh, to hear what Rebecca thinks on that too. Um, and maybe Maybe I'll pitch it to Gina because when we saw this project, Gina said, you know, my favorite place in the region is in Medford. So I know she has lots of thoughts. Well, I was just going to say I'm a landscape architect and so I'm the public realm design um, brain at agency or the lead design brain on that front. And I think it's um, really wonderful to work in a community that has a really robust natural park system, open, open space system, and that you have a great, you have a lot of great planning in place. And so there's a lot to build from. But I think what uh, seems like a big challenge, it was hinted at with Chris's map. Um, one of the biggest ones in our minds is thinking about connectivity and resilience um, as we think about the future and the kind of big challenges ahead. And, and it was identified in your parks master plan update as well, that you have great at resources. How do you bring them all together? How do you make them more ecologically rich and productive? And how do you make them more resilient to the changes in climate we're already seeing? Um, and so, but that's a very biased um, public space, public space design perspective and from someone who works on rivers. But yeah, Rebecca, what would you add to that from, from your perspective? 
Sure. I mean, I think I, I look at it from a different perspective, given that I'm like the economic development um, kind of policy wonk on the team. Um, so I think from my perspective and having gone through a bunch of the past planning documents, I think I'll start similar to Gina in that I think some of the strengths are that Medford has done an incredible amount of really thoughtful planning analysis already and has like an incredibly engaged city staff, seems to have like really engaged citizens, has a set of really strong employers, both in the city and in the region, um, and has citizens who are really excited, it seems like are very excited to be like engaged in thinking about Medford's future, for whether that be for housing and housing, for economic development, for jobs, you don't find that everywhere. There are some places you go and you look at a project like this and you only have like one part, like one ingredient. You have many, many different stakeholders who are really interested in thinking about how to make this work. And you have a lot of planning that's already done. I feel like now it's at the stage of saying, okay, this is all the planning that's been done. Now, how do we do like a little bit of an update to the numbers? How do we think about this in the context of the trifecta of global challenges facing every city, right? The national reckoning on racism, COVID and the recession, and through the challenges and opportunities of that trifecta, how do you then look at the planning that's been done and think about what are the priorities for Medford? What can you afford to pay for and how you get it done? I think some of the challenges that we're seeing in Medford from the data we've been reading and then from calling many of my friends and colleagues who live in the area in Medford and around is there's extreme development pressure on Medford that you're feeling from surrounding communities and deciding who gets to live where and what housing is privileged or not is a big decision and that gets to the heart of what kind of community you want to be. And so I think considering how and why and when you make those decisions, I think is arguably one of the biggest responsibilities that will come out of this plan um, and, and how you consider it going forward. So I could say it's the biggest challenge. I also think it's your greatest strength because you're giving yourself the time and space to think about it in an integrated way. Um, and I think I say with Gina, I share the same overall excitement for, for this. The first date that I went on with my now husband um, was in Medford at what at the time was the fanciest Italian restaurant I had ever been to. So I just, I harbor like such strong personal feelings toward Medford and the idea of them thinking about how it could be invested in its development is really exciting. Um, but again, every person in this committee and every participant watching like probably has their own feelings about what the big challenges are. And I think part of our role will be to collect those challenges and opportunities and think about how we bring them to bear and the prioritization of those might be the biggest challenge. Great, thank you. Jacqueline, you have a question for them? Yes, um, for one, thank you again uh, for taking the time to meet with us. Um, your presentation uh, was great, obviously. Um, it was great and we obviously can't choose everyone, but I, I, I for one, thank you for all of the effort that you put into it. Um, my question actually stems um, well, as captured in your presentation, right, there, uh, you, you mentioned that there were many Medfords, unique neighborhoods with diverse community voices channeled by evolution and change, right? Um, we have, like most communities, we have traditional versus prog progressive voices that pretty much fight each other um, over varying, uh, varying values, right? And it's usually um, daunting to find consensus when people do not see the overall benefits of the others um, or alter, 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 
alternative um, views from their own, right? Not to mention, as with any community, some voices are louder or more frequent than others. One of my questions in saying all of that is, how will you manage alternative conflicting views and lead the city to consensus on solutions? Um, has this been something that you've found in the past? And if you can just, um, and if it has first, if you can answer the first part of that question, and if you have this experience, if you can um, just enlighten us on how you got through it. Um, maybe I'll just start and then I would love to hear um, Gina, if you have some specific experiences, anyone else raising their hand? Emily's raising her hand. I think everybody probably has encountered this. Um, you know, Gina always says really well that we understand that people are coming in with positions um, and, and opinions and that our job in putting together engagement is to help, is to find ways to understand their interests and their needs um, and move them away from those singular positions because we can't find consensus around singular, singular positions, but we can find creativity and innovation by understanding interests, the values Emily talked about and where those coalesce. And we're also really often amazed that even though people feel like there are these polarizing differences, there's a lot of things in common. And so that's really important to surface as well. I think that's what's sort of exciting about some of the tools that Chris brings as well is that, um, you know, we've seen in the RFP and other places, Medford used the word transparency a lot. And I think data can help us with that, that it's not just engagement, it's not just discussion, it's transparent sharing, and you can see what your neighbors say. And I think a lot of those digital tools could help us make that really transparent, make the interests, the trade-offs, um, all of those things readily available. So I'm excited about that. Um, and I think Gina and Emily, whoever wants to go first to build on that. You, 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 you said exactly what I was going to say, Brie. I told you. It's like tracking. Emily, go ahead. You, you. you know, same here. I think yeah, Brie hit every single point I was going to make. So we're good. Well, maybe I'll just, uh, I think the second part of Jacqueline's question then was about if it's, if we've experienced that. And so definitely, and at all scales, um, you know, one project that we put within the proposal was the White River Vision Plan, which is central Indiana, and it was a regional plan. Um, so a different scale, but very comprehensive in the same way. And what we found there was, you know, we had, we had those kind of um, some really uh, dug in differences around kind of what the interpretation of this river could be in the future from economic development to access places where um, there were concerns about displacement, places where there were generational landowners very concerned about access. And so um, in that case, we worked really closely. That was part of the reason within the proposal we proposed you know, maybe not just a steering committee, but also a community advisory committee, because we found that some of those voices that have the real specific concerns, giving them space to be in the room to understand how decisions are made and to see their words and concerns even represented um, within the plan, uh, ultimately led them to being turned around as supporters. The only thing I would add to that is letting everybody know that their voices are valued that we understand that people will have differences of opinion, but we value all of those voices and getting people into that room a little bit harder these days, but if we can't meet in person, we can at least meet in smaller focus groups. Um, agency have been doing some amazing things of in-person social distancing um, uh, outreach to people. And so getting people in the smaller groups, allowing them to be valued, to be heard, and then showing in our work 
that those voices have been heard. When we come back with our recommendations, people recognize the things that they've said to us uh, and understand that we have been listening. I was just going to add, Bree, um, to Jacqueline's question that we started the presentation with this idea of vision and grit. We come back to that a lot as a practice, just that, you know, um, you, you, can't, you can't have a successful planning effort without both of those. And so the vision is how do we bring more voices to the table and give more people the opportunity to give us those um, those interests, right? Tell us what they what they really care about so that we can find those alignments. And the grit is you will see us hustle to get to every part of the community, whether it's beer coasters and bars, which we've done, or going to church events or going to farmers markets. You can't rely on any one tool or any one way of communicating multiple languages. And Franklin, I think we had Franklin Park, which Bree's got the engagement model behind her. I think we did all of our publications in six languages. So, you know, the idea is the grit. You need a team that's really going to, by, by virtue of our own ethic around engagement and the desire of Medford to really have voices shape it, get out there and go to where people are and find ways of doing meaningful engagement, even in these very strange times we find ourselves in. So, um, yeah. And that earnestness sometimes comes in handy because when people see you multiple times and they can't say, oh, you never reached out to me because we were like, no, we were actually, we were at that farmer's market. We were there. We saw you there. You saw you there too. So um, that's the vision and grit. Great. Thank you guys so much. Um, I am going to ask you about lessons learned from other communities and other projects. And what are ones that you would be able to, to tell us about and that you would leverage in your approach to Medford's plan. Let's see who has who has an interest in sharing here. I think we've all come across that. Um, Emily, do you want to start? I'll go first on the comprehensive planning side. So as Bree said, um, obviously I've, I've managed comprehensive plans. I'm working on two right now, uh, both resiliency as a lens and a focus, but in some very different ways. But um, in addition to working professionally, I was also chair of a master plan committee. So I've been on both sides of the table, uh, consultant and uh, elected official and uh, chair of the committee. And one of the things I think is critically important to understand when you're doing visioning is that ultimately a, a comprehensive plan covers so many things, but its genesis is in what can the municipality do, sometimes with partners, but ultimately it's about the municipality, it's about the land use and how they manage it, it's about the policies, it's about the services. Um, it's about the investments. And that becomes a really critical issue is this idea that a municipality has only so much money and so much time. And that time includes staff time as well as volunteer time. Volunteer time should absolutely be considered a municipal resource, but it can be tapped in a, a few too many times. And so I think one of the lessons that I have learned in um, working with communities, whether it's for comprehensive plan or for it's the larger strategic plan I've done, is to be very aware of the municipal resources, how they can be creatively employed, how you can have partners, whether it's state and federal partners, or whether it's local nonprofits, or whether it's just a band of committed volunteers that really want to get X done, and the comprehensive plan can be a way of channeling that energy. And so the municipal 
municipality shouldn't feel that they're alone in what they're doing, but they should also understand that this uh, plan gives them a roadmap of how to direct some of those energies, whether it's its own energy or whether it's other energies, and that the implementation is really about being a partnership uh, with many, many groups to get things done. Rebecca has a lesson, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think building on that, and I think this is one of the reasons why I think this team was so interested in this project and thinking about the interdisciplinary nature of this master or this comprehensive plan in particular for Medford. I think a lesson learned that I have from a few projects I've worked on is really making sure that the economic development pieces are integrated into the rest of the plan. In particular, as we start thinking about like funding mechanisms and funding like an implementation mechanisms, particularly if we start looking at, you know, like TIF or DIF districts or different incentive programs for development, those can't be standalone um, and they can't just be done with developers or they can't just be done with like two people and a municipal staff, that they really need to be connected to other parts of the plan and really thinking about you know, if we want to incentivize development in one part of a commercial corridor, how does that connect to what we're thinking about for tourism and also cultural resources or a particular park? Um, and just the importance of making sure that that work isn't siloed and isolated. Because if you make one decision on the economic development and funding side, it could have this incredible chain reaction across like, so many other departments. And particularly when you have a smaller team on the municipal side, just the importance of like, you know, especially getting some of those incentive programs right. Um, it could just have an outsized impact, you know, on the outcomes from a comprehensive plan. So that's a lesson that I have from other consulting teams where the work has been more siloed. So I think the approach that this team is taking to being really interdisciplinary is how I would also hope the project gets managed on the client side. So I love that the questions that are being asked are of the interdisciplinary nature, because I think that's really exciting. I think the final lesson I would share too, um, unless others have any anything, is um, you know that the plan needs to inspire, right? And I think a big part of that is um, is words, the vision, but a big part of it is visualizing the place um, and giving people something to grab onto. And so we really think, you know, I was looking back at our um, timeline and even what Emily showed, and we have this kind of community vision piece in the middle that looks really short, but it really is the whole plan needs to tie up to that vision. We work really hard to make sure that engagement directly drives it and that also that the implementation plan points back to it. So having something that is inspiring that people can hold on to, grab onto and understand as Medford's plan. I think we found that really powerful, both for the questions that Jacqueline was asking about um, consensus and all of those, those dialogues, but also what Emily was saying about resources um, and you know, galvanizing be people behind ideas. So we can help um, assess what those ideas are and then communicate them and get excitement there. Dave, did you want to jump in? I think you stole my lessons learned question that I was that was and they and they they answered it pretty thoroughly. So I appreciate the thoughtful answer. We did have a question from the chat um, that re, that speaks specifically about uh, community engagement and how you kind of reach out. And, and that I I, res I respect the question that was asked. By, by Roberta Cameron, in the sense that we, we tend to rely a little bit too much on social media um, to do our outreach. How do you get outside of that bubble? 
um, and not use social media as such a, as, as almost the exclusive way to do outreach? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we've been thinking a lot about that, especially post COVID. And I think, um, you know, we have thought a lot and talked as, as this group too about how um, COVID will probably transform how we all do engagement forever, right? Um, this moment has, has been a turning point. We, a lot of the um, images I realized that Gina was showing on the public engagement examples um, that were about what we've been doing since COVID were all analog. Um, so we've always been trying to find the kind of like in-person touch point um, that is safe with COVID, but still reaches people beyond online, beyond social media. It's been particularly important in and around Franklin Park, um, in those neighborhoods where social media, we found with our survey really effectively reached Jamaica Plain. It didn't reach anyone else surrounding the park. And so we had to work closely with uh, community partners to distribute the survey in a different way, get more feedback, and we were able to get um, almost you know, demographically representative uh, feedback ultimately, but we had to double down and we had to extend it and we had to work with community partners to get the word out. We also put um, those signs in the park, you know, the hopscotch uh, painting on the ground, just really trying to, as Gina was describing, be everywhere. And since we can't right now be everywhere with people, still be visible um, and still make the plan, um, you know, visible as part of people's um, presence. I think that's why we were excited to brainstorm, you know, if people are still going to CVS to get their daily needs may, met over at Fells Way, is there a way to partner and have an information station where we can at least, you know, meet people where they still are, uh, still might be, um, and start to communicate ideas beyond social media. Other thoughts on that from the group? Chris, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, even I think um, beyond this kind of like guerrilla marketing kind of stuff. Um, I think that the, the stuff in the digital space, um, is still, um, I think that's, it really, it's really important to still have custom, um, stuff so that that's not reliant upon social media. So like the map is one example, um, where we can just send you a link or, or if there's a, a simple link on a brochure that you get because of a physical interaction, um, that, you know, that that's not some, you don't have to sign up for a Facebook account to see that. Um, but also like, so an example, another example is that we've been doing some, uh, Landau has been doing some interactive maps um, that allow you to place a pin for, you know, and do a comment. And the one we did for St. Louis had a thousand comments um, and that, that kind of we thought really hit um, a you know wide audience, and, and it, we had comments all over all over the downtown area there. Um, and so, so you know, I, th I think that is another way, even within the digital realm, to go beyond that kind of social media bubble. So we need to wrap up in a minute, but and I kind of want to give you time for questions, but I also. Um, I actually wanted to just ask you to speak very quickly to one of the things you had in your proposal was looking at the history of the place and the location. And some of the language you used in that really struck some of the readers of the proposal and the thing. And if you wanted to speak to that a little bit before asking us some questions. So I'll, I'll answer that. I think one of the things that we like to look at when we think about the uniqueness of an area is what was the development pattern? How did the community begin? 
How did it start over time? And that is its unique fingerprint almost. Um, and Medford has such a rich history, um, the Clipper ship history, um, some of it bad, but reminding us. So for example, we looked at the Royal House and Slave Quarters, which is a major reminder that inequities have persisted in our society for quite some time and that the past is sometimes not that far past. Um, in terms of the impact it has on the future. And so as part of our deep dive, we're going to be looking into the history of the community, the development patterns of the streets and the buildings and how that's had an impact, not just from Medford, but you know, a little bit around Medford, it does not sit in isolation, but also how has the community development over developed over time, who has lived here in the past, who's living here now, how those peoples, how those cultures um, have an impact on what could be Medford's future. Um, we think that, you know, this has always been an important conversation, but given our recent couple of months, it is a conversation that has become more important, more vital, more critical to our future as a society as a whole. And we really want to respect that in this planning process um, and find out how we can draw on the strengths of the combined communities, the combined mini Medfords into that one Medford. So we're excited about the opportunity to do that. We always think, I think that, you know, history is not passive. We choose what to protect. And um, with Medford's really long history, there's so many layers of history um, that we can really get into interpretation, storytelling and, and learning. Great. And is there anything else? We do want to respect time and wrap things up. Um. I would love to ask the group, um, you know, maybe that one of the early questions you asked us, what you think the biggest challenge that you're facing is and that this plan is going to take on. <laughs> Not it, Dave. No, I think I can. I think I can jump in a little bit. And, and doing the comprehensive plan was a, was a priority for the mayor when she took office in January, and kind of pulling together all the plans. Like you, you did mention the fact that the Medford does have a good base of planning, but it, they kind of exist in vacuums and a little bit of a, a little bit of a sense. So we want to pull all that stuff together and make it a true comprehensive and cohesive plan. The comprehensive plan is good, but a cohesive plan and an actionable plan is, is good. Now, the reason that I came to work in Medford, and, and I'm not from Medford, I don't live in Medford, but the reason I came to work here is because it has all the parts um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's waiting to be put together um, in that cohesive way, um, with a, but that has to be a community-driven process. So having that be a groundswell of public, a, 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 a grassroots process from the, from the ground up is going to be super important. Um, I think pulling those things together is our biggest challenge. And, and we, we started talking about divisiveness and, and some of the some of the, the troubled history and some of the other history. I think I think moving, recognizing those things and pulling, not moving beyond them, but but recognizing them and giving a nod to them, and building a future that is is cognizant of that is going to be a, is going to be a big challenge. Um, in kind of what Medford is, what it was, and what it can be, is in kind of kind of brushing away some of the other the other issues that kind of cloud that issue is going to be is going to be huge. And I think that's one of the big issues, but I'll, I'll defer to Alicia, who, uh, who I trust a lot more on these issues than, than I do myself. 
And I think a lot of it is that we are really trying to do a lot. And this is super important to all of us. The number, I've been the acting community development director since January, and the number of times people have said to me, residents, developers, businesses, well, what does your master plan say about that? And how does this fit into the master plan? And we kind of go, we got lots of little plans yeah. and we really need this all tied together. I think that's sort of the opportunity that Medford's right for this. And the difficulty is communication. The difficulty is that we are a medium-sized city five miles outside of Boston. And Medford residents watch the Boston News. They read the Boston Globe. That is all wonderful. But it's not usually a good thing when Medford News is in the Boston Globe. As a general rule, we try to have positive stuff going on here. And residents don't always know what's going on in the community. And when I turn to residents who say, why didn't I know about that? Because I live here too. And I say to them, how could I have communicated this to you? I try. And they look at me and they say, I don't know. I don't know what you could have done to communicate this to us better. That is the biggest challenge that we have been facing here for many years. And what we need is help in time because we have staff that are working mm -hmm. around the clock it feels like um, and how do we get this done and how do we get this done when other people aren't organizing large events for us to go to and have a table at you know and and that's not a, and still the people you get at that are not the people who live somewhere else who visit their grandmother and another you know who just happen to live here but who's who's heart like who aren't fully engaged. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'd like to grab your thoughts on that too, on kind of that challenge that you see as, as uh, the, that Medford faces. Uh, well, Dave, you've already, uh, you and Alicia have already elaborated on pretty much what I saw the challenge. And now that I sit back and I think about, one of the things for me is I work at the state level um, with 351 cities and towns, watching them with economic development and housing and, and trying to figure out theirs, right? And so I, I, I have, Medford is my second home. I came here uh, more than 24 years ago to stop my to um, raise my family, and so I'm committed to Medford. Medford is my adopted home, right? And so I would like to see it move forward. And and even myself sitting in it, I have my own my own values. Even though I know what's good for Medford, um, it's one of the daunting challenges is to try to, as David has says, what 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 Medford was, what it is now. And what it can be. I know that there's so many value and everyone's um, pretty much what they value and in, in their interests and things like that. But how do you bring it all together? Mm -hmm. It's very daunting to, you know, to, to hear some to, to give your idea and then to hear someone shut it down or you give or vice versa. And it's like you, you go in these circles because everything is happening in a vacuum and silos. Not everyone gets to see the value of everything put before them. So the fact that you're able to bring these help to bring these pieces together and with a with a huge, uh, very ample community um, engagement process, you'll start to peel away um, issues or, or, or fears that people have, you know, and, and they'll start to put it together. So the biggest daunting thing for me is to get there, but I know it can be done. It's like, just how? We got to start somewhere, right? And so, again, it's just the starting. That's the daunting thing of it. Not so much the actual, um, I don't want to like take apart the, all the activities that have to happen. It's just starting and, and then getting through that process. 
I was going to say, Brie, this would have been a great committee to do the um, hats exercise. Sometimes we make community members wear a hat that's a certain color. It's a technique of facilitation where when you're wearing a green hat, you cannot have a negative thought in your head. It can only be positive um, because it's exactly what you're saying, Jacqueline. Sometimes you just get stuck in these circular discussions, but trying to get everybody to at least be thinking through the same mindset optimistically. Just give us 10 minutes of optimistic thinking because something good will come of that stream right that that brainstorm and so yeah we totally hear you exactly and and i sorry i didn't finish my thought on me even bringing up the fact oh yes i work uh, i deal with 351 cities and towns the reason why i mentioned that is because i dealing with these towns you see what works for them and so um, you automatically start getting a little frustrated on what can't work for medford and it's mm -hmm. like okay you just need a team of people to figure it out because awesome things will work for Medford. So again, that's where <laughs> I was going with that. Uh, that's where I was going with that thought. It's just that um, Medford has, it's, it's unique and we're ripe for change, right? And um, it's exciting, but also it's like, okay, <laughs> where do you start? That's all. Well, we'd like you to start with us. Okay. And we would like you to think of us as your team, mm -hmm. as your, your second or third or fifth pair of hands to address some of these. You know, we have the interdisciplinary skills. We've been working with the communities around you. We'd like to work with you to address, I think a lot of the, the not just the problems, but the opportunities that we've collectively seen uh, during this, this conversation with you. Um, we think that Medford has a huge number of assets. We think it's got a vibrant community and so many different levels. And we'd love to be the team mm -hmm. that helps you to put it together. Hmm. Thank you guys so much. We actually have to wrap this up for, um, we have another meeting on the Zoom account, um, but we really appreciate uh, all of the time that you spent preparing for this and all of the detail you gave on your proposal. And uh, it was great to see. Well, thank you everyone so much for having us and everyone out there in the Zoom listening room. Um, and please, if you have any more questions, just follow up. We would love to continue to talk and uh, to try to meet your passion with our own um, for Medford. Thank you. Thank you. People Thank you. can send comments and thoughts to OCD at medford-ma.gov or if you have my email address or Annie's, just email us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Bye.